ますもんね Recording in progress. Hi, and welcome to a very special episode of SEPAD Discusses. I'm delighted today to be joined by three wonderful guests to discuss a fantastic new book by one of our fellows, Mariam Salehi. Mariam is the author of this, and it's wonderful to see it in print. Um, Transitional Justice in Process Plans and Politics in Tunisia. So we're here to, uh, to discuss the main ideas, the resonance, the relevance of this wonderful text. And I'm really very much looking forward to it. But before we get to that, I must begin by introducing our panel today. So first of all, we have Mariam Salehi, who is a fellow with SEPAD and research group leader at the Interact Centre for Interdisciplinary Peace and Conflict Research at Freie Universität Berlin. She is, of course, the author of this fantastic new book, and has published extensively on a range of other issues related to transitional justice. Along a similar vein, we also have Stacey Philbrick-Yadav, who is Associate Professor of International Relations at Hobart and William Smith Colleges. Her latest book, Yemen in the Shadow of Transition, Pursuing Justice Amid War, is due to be published in September, so very much looking forward to that, Stacey. And last, but by no means least, we have Mohamed Dia Hamami. Mohamed is a PhD student in political science at the Maxwell School of Citizenship and Public Affairs at Syracuse University. So thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. It's a real pleasure. Really looking forward to it. Mariam, first of all, a huge congratulations. I remember having a conversation with you um, somewhere in Germany a few years ago about this, so I'm delighted that it's all come to fruition. Why don't you begin by telling us a little bit about, about what the book's about and, and why you wrote it, please? Yeah, thanks so much for the introduction, Simon, and um, thank you also so much, Stacey and um, and Dia, for for discussing with me here today or with us. Um, So what is um, the book about or what does it try to do? Um, So the book comes out um, of a PhD thesis, and I was um, researching yeah, um, the the book or or what later should become the book, while the um, transitional justice process in Tunisia was in development, and so um, the initial idea was to go um, and look for something that has been happening already. So I I I, I got in, in, into into the research with the idea of looking at um, trials that had been um, happening directly after the 2011 revolution. But then while I was starting to do that research, um, it actually um, emerged um, from the the first interviews I was doing that um, my interview partners were not um, seeing this as particularly relevant to um, the current moment. And um, so, so I I tried to to look at um, transitional justice, um, yeah, in a, in a broader sense and, and try to capture what was developing while I was researching it. And so this led me um, to um, actually yeah, try to, to capture this process, um, as I said, while it was developing and, and also to, to um, um, capture the, the interplay between um, what would become or what I would call like the planned transitional justice pro- um, um, project and um, the political transition that was happening um, in in the meanwhile and, and to see how these two things go together. And um, 
Yeah, so this is the main um, thing the book is about, and this is what it tries to do. And um, so there um, are a few arguments that are that are coming out of this, and 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 one of them is um, related to the transitional justice literature that um, tries to to make this intervention that we need to um, look more at this interplay and and to look at the politics of transitional justice and to look at the transition part as well, um, because. Um, I mean, of course, not all, but um, there are some parts of the literature that are more concerned with the justice part and, and looking at like goals that have been predefined beforehand and then seeing whether these have um, been, been reached or not. And I mean, I've, I'm, I'm certainly also to some degree guilty of that, but, but this is what I, what I try to unsettle a bit um, in the book. And um, then um, um, w with regards to... Um, the, the Tunisia part of, of the book, I mean, I, I tried to um, paint a broad picture and not only look at um, like a confined um, group of actors that has been dealing with transitional justice, has a very specific perspective on it, but to broaden um, um, the perspective a bit and, and, and talk to different people and, and seek um, a different perspective from my interlocutors and, and therefore um yeah, show how this transitional justice um project is also situated within a within like broader political dynamics. Great, thank you. What do you think is the main takeaway that, that you want people to, to be left with? Yeah, that's a, that's a hard question actually. Sorry, um, I don't mean to ambush you. <laughs> um so, I mean, the main takeaway, main takeaway for for what again, right? So, so I I think um, the, the main takeaway that I try to to tease out in the book is that um, even though um, the the project was was very um, ambitious, um, it, it it was designed in in a way that was because it would serve some political interest, right? And and um, when um, power constellations changed, um, these political interests um, um, they um, yeah were also not, not necessarily um, those of, of those who, who, who regained power or gained power in, in that moment. And and that um, even even though you you have such an ambitious project, and that was like fixed in the constitution and, um, and it still depends on, on political dynamics um, to um, to see what could can actually come out of it, right? And and, and that um, this um, ambitious project that was designed that wasn't neutral from the start. Um, it, it was in the interest of some and it, it um, to some degree it, it would have also served um, the interests of, of, of certain parts of the population um, and, and like many parts because it was quite broad and, and designed to be all-encompassing. But um, even though this was, it was possible to design something like this from the start, um, it was hard to go through with it. And, um, and this doesn't mean, and I think that's another main takeaway point, that this was all in vain, I think. Um, I mean, we can tease out um, things that, that might stick, 
um, which um, I mean, I, I don't want to get into like current politics at the moment. Maybe Delia can talk about that later a bit, but um, hopefully there will be something that sticks. And, and, and I think this is what I tried to tease out with the notion of um, um, like the performing of transitional justice um, that it, in its other meaning that um, on the one hand, it, it has an outward looking meaning, but then on the other hand, it's like carrying something out. Um, so, you know, I, I really read the book in the context of a the critical turn in the transition justice, transitional justice literature towards recognizing uh, the not just the political context of transitional justice, but the value of it being understood as political, right? The sort of uh, a challenge to the depoliticizing legalism of earlier approaches, and to some extent, not just earlier approaches, but practitioner approaches. And so you're bringing a nice scholarly analytical lens that I think can be valuable to practitioners, but also really speaks to us as political scientists, as, as international relations scholars. One of the concepts that stands out to me as really useful and central to your argument is the concept of friction. And I know you and I have talked about this a little bit before, um, but you say at one point in the book that transitional justice was appropriated and reconfigured, but also a driver of frictional encounters between actors. So there's this causal reciprocity or this friction as a causal reciprocity um, that I think is really interesting. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about where that concept comes from and like why you think it's really important to how we conceptualize the transitional justice process as as a political process. Yeah, thank you for, for the question. I mean, I'm always uh, a bit um, careful with um, talking about causality, um, and that has probably something to do with like um, being questioned uh, in that regard that with the methods I use or the, the analytical lens that I use that I can show causality. Um, and I, I don't know whether this is a, um, a discussion we want to get into or not, but um, uh, I, I'm very happy to, to talk about um, this. Um, I mean, of course, I want to make a convincing argument and then, um, whether we call it causal or not. We, um, <laughs> we, uh, that, that could be something that uh, maybe instead of focusing on the word causal in my framing, focus on the word reciprocal. Like it's that reciprocity piece that was most interesting yeah. to me. Yeah, I, I think what I really like about this notion of friction is this um, that it's both productive and disruptive, and um, and um, so and and this I find very useful. And and there has been. Um, scholarship before that explicitly defined um, or, or like harness the notion of friction um, for, for um, like a processual understanding of, of, of things. Um, and, and so this, um, and, and this is something that I, I think I could actually see empirically that um, things were moving forward through friction, but they were also blocked by friction and, and sometimes simultaneously, right? And um, and, and so, um, I mean, um, that, that we have, have this, uh, um, and, and, and I mean, I kind of lump it together to some degree with conflict, um, and which is also can also be productive and disruptive, um, and which is coming out of the um, sociological approach I'm, I'm working with. And, and, and I would, I would perceive friction as, as being less confrontative, maybe as conflict. Um, maybe a bit more subtle, um, but but I, I think there are lots of these like subtle 
frictional um, dynamics that that we could see actually, and and I think um, with regard to the reciprocity, um, I think that's something that is actually needed. Uh, some um, um, some kind of frictional or, or conflictual dynamic because um, transitional justice actually, I mean, it it wouldn't be necessary to have to have a transitional justice process if there wouldn't be conflict, right? And and uh, so I, I think if it uh, and it, it kind of um, makes sense to to have a notion um, that um, tries to capture the necessity of um, maybe producing more conflict if you actually want to change um, something and want to change structures and power dynamics and and this is. Um, and, and, and also, like, um, I mean, like one of my interview partners called it like changing the political architecture. And I mean, um, and, and I think this um, process of changing the political architecture has also happened in, in other fora, um, of course, in parallel or before that. But um, I mean, if, if we look at the goals of the Transitional Justice Project, this, this is something that actually um, it explicitly tried to do also. Um, one of the things I really appreciate about the book, Mariam, and your work generally, is this ability to speak to different types of debates and different types of um, of literatures. So obviously there's this really rich discussion of transitional justice that you and Stacey are having, but of course you also focus extensively on the Tunisian case. So Mohammed, what's your takeaway from this? Having heard Mariam's um, engagement there with Stacey's question and having engaged with the book, what do you take out of it? What are your reflections? Well, I, I think it's a very insightful book uh, for people who are not familiar with the details and the complexities of the process, but it's also revives a lot of memory for someone who's been through the process of someone who worked even within the, the um, Truth and Dignity Commission, it kind of brings back elements that I, I, I forgot and may, that I probably uh, missed if I had to, to narrate quickly what happened during the last uh, decade. Um, but my main takeaway is um, from, the, from the book is that the idea of planning and the critique of the limits of a planned process and here I would like to to uh, ask a question to Mariam to kind of get a sense more of uh, what do you mean exactly by plan and planning? And can you tell us more about why you chose this very specific um, concept? From what I remember, people talk about social justice as a masar, as a path or a track towards something rather than a plan in the um, probably in the more term that is somehow known for for uh, economics or from strategy and and so can you tell us more about this choice? What, what do you mean by plan and and why did you decide to focus on on the critique of the limits of planning? Um, thank you. That is actually um, a great question and one I hadn't thought about in in this way. And I think um, so. I'm trying to to figure out why um, I or how I ended up with focusing on on this notion. I, I think um, 
So I, I had one encounter talking with a transitional justice professional and um, he actually um, said to me something like, oh, and we just only recently started to realize that if things don't work out as planned, it's not always our fault. And um, so there, there was this um, this term and, 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 and so um, I think that was one of the first times I started to um, actively en engage with this thought like, okay, there are actually some people who think that there is a plan and that plan should be carried out as such. And then they are, um, then they are surprised uh, if it doesn't work out. And, and, um, and I don't want to now portray a picture of all transitional justice professionals as being naive and, and, and they, they are not a homogenous group and um, not all of them would, would think that way, but this is something that somehow stuck with me. And, um, and, and, and then um, there were some other instances in, in which um, um, I was talking to people and, and I realized that um, there, there was this idea of um, like what is good for the transitional justice process. And, and, um, and this, this was somehow detached from the question of like um, what is good for the um, overall transition, of course, I'm I'm now like um, I'm I'm like uh, um, I, I'm painting a broad picture here, right? I'm I'm like using um, broad brushes, but 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 in the essence, it, it, it was that, and 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 it, it it was always this question of like how would this relate to our plan and and what we what we want to do with this transitional justice um, project and. Um, and, and so for me, I, I think this is how, um, yeah, um, where this, this emerged from. And of course, um, I mean, with, with the title of the book, um, um, I mean, like the title of the dissertation was much more complicated and tried to be uh, a bit more precise. Um, and because, of course, these plans, they also came out of certain politics. And so the juxtaposition of plans and politics, it's not entirely correct. And it's, of course, due to somehow making um, the title um, legible and um, usable as a, as a book title. Um, but um, I think, and, and now coming back to, to the question of, of um, I mean, when you said that um, you, you saw it more in economics, I, I think I, I engaged a, a bit with this um, with this literature on like um, um, yeah technocracy or, or the technocratic idea and um, and and I think there um, um, there's also something um, in it with with regard to like we're um, we're developing um, a plan and uh, like a project plan and and how this should work and so it's it's not only um, yeah economic uh, in terms of economic planning but also in, in terms of this like bureaucracy um, like project um, management and planning and 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 I think this is how I um, got to that. Let me ask you a follow up on that um, and maybe clarify for people who haven't yet read the book who transitional justice practitioners or professionals are and how, where Tunisians come into that story. So I'm particularly interested in my own work on the role of Yemeni knowledge producers or Yemeni knowledge production in shaping this discourse uh, or shaping those plans from within institution, transitional justice institutions and within international peace building institutions. Were Tunisians 
playing a role among these technocratic professionals? Were there particular types of Tunisians who were doing that and others who were, were, you know, accessing the process in different ways? Just kind of lay out the landscape for us a little bit. Um, yeah, I hope I got the question right because um, I, it was interrupted uh, in between, but I, I think I got. So, um, laying out the landscape. So, um, I mean, there were um, three um, um, big international players, um, I would say. So, the International Center for Transitional Justice, which um, actually um, started um, exploring very early on whether there would be, or as I was told, would be a desire for something like a, a more institutionalized planned transitional justice project in Tunisia. And um, as, as far as I know, um, they um, hired a Tunisian law professor to actually um, carry out this initial um, uh, initial scoping. Um, so they, they're um, and then, um, with regard to the concrete project, um, the um, UN um, United Nations Development Program and the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights, they were also um, involved um, um, in addition to the International Center for Transitional Justice, Justice which is the largest um, NGO um, in the field. And I mean, there were then some other smaller um, international NGOs and like um, Avocat Frontier, for example, that came in at other um, um, steps in the process. Um, but when I when I um, talk about transitional justice professionals, um, I mean, um, yeah, I, I would say um, I would distinguish that from from um, from those um, people who are politically involved in, in the process or as, as part of like um, civil society um, engagement, um, but professionals, um, there were like Tunisian professionals involved in this process working for these um, international um, institutions and NGOs and, and so the distinction is not necessarily between like Tunisians and, and those coming in from abroad, but rather like which, which institution um, do you work for and um, and, and what role do you have in that institution? Um, I mean, like, um, and, and also in terms of like knowledge production. So I had one interview with a Tunisian who had worked for um, one of the institutions and, and, and they were um, quite frustrated and said like, okay, we can't be experts here. Our knowledge is not taken seriously. And then there were others who would perceive that differently and saying like, I mean, um, there were Tunisians hired in important um, um, positions, and um, and and then the, the frictions or, or the um, um, the conflict and alliances they were rather running in different lines. That the, the question would be like, um, do you work with the government? Do you work with civil society? Um, with whom are you working with, and whose agenda are you actually supporting? Um, or not, or at least this is how I perceive the landscape. And and with regard to the different international um, institutions, um, they were not all agreeing with each other, and um, and and they were like, at least in conversations with me, they were quite frank about that, right? And so they um, they they didn't sometimes like ICTJ didn't like how UNDP would go about things or how OHBHR would go about things and 
Um, and, and so like lumping this all together as the so-called justice industry, I think it's a bit misleading and I, I try to disentangle that a bit. Yeah. Mohammed, does that reflective of your experience as someone who was on the quote-unquote inside of this? Yes, uh, thank you. Um, so I, I think I, I agree with um, the description that uh, Mariam presented in the book regarding the somehow vertical power dynamic between international uh, actors um, who were imposing, I mean, um, templates, as she, she, she says in the, in the conclusion of the book. Um, but at the same time, from someone who was involved in interacting with these institutions as um, uh, an employee of the of the um, Truth and Dignity Commission, I, I think it's there is some level of agency, uh, a significant amount of agency that also shapes the behavior of these um, organizations. Meaning. Um, it was, for example, the Truth and Dignity Commission to, that reached out to the uh, to Avocats Sans Frontières and got them involved in the process. Um, I was myself involved in negotiations with with the UNDP, where I had to replan the, the, their technical assistance uh, program on communi- on the communication part. And, and I think the person who came after me, we, we did it again. Um, so. I don't think, I mean, part of the um, narratives and analytical tools and jargon and and, and um, frames uh, that are commonly used by the global industry of consciousness justice were definitely transferred in a relatively top-down way. But when it comes to specific choices about what to do and when and how, I think um, the local actors has a strong, had a strong influence on the behavior of international actors. And there is another, um, two other parts I think that I would like to add, and maybe in, in further um, studies, it would be great to investigate them more. I felt that the truth and dignity transition, for example, was somehow trying to get some protection uh, by getting international actors involved, capitalizing on um, the legitimacy or power of these institutions to protect itself from attacks. Um, one of the um, regular um, things that, that the, the uh, Truth and Dignity Commission did was inviting ambassadors of countries who are supportive of the transition process or who had similar processes to visit the archives and visit the the the, um, the headquarters of the of the commission, and they would post these the the pictures of these visits on the Facebook page. Um, and financially, I don't think that the process would have been viable without the financial support of the uh, UNDP and the German uh, corporation, the uh, governmental corporation, uh, because of the constraints that were coming from um, local actors. So I think the the Truth and Dignity Commission had to somehow um, engage in this power dynamic and was somehow using was in, in a brokerage position. I think there is some level of complexity that needs 
needs to be investigated more. Um, Maybe that's your follow-up talk, Maria. Yeah, I think that um, um, that captures quite well what I also um, tried to say, basically, that I like a description of like um, top-down imposition of uh, what exactly would happen that that wouldn't portray um, the process correctly and that that wouldn't do justice also to Tunisian actors and 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 I mean this is like a um, um, this is like a, an interpretation that I've been writing against because I I've, especially at the beginning of, of my research this is something I often got asked at conferences so isn't this just coming from the outside and um, and being imposed on, on um, Tunisians? And, and I would say, like, this is not what I'm seeing. And neither from the civil society side nor from the politician side, who didn't necessarily agree how things should look like, but they definitely um, all had their own strong opinions and also agency in, uh, in, in how this would actually develop. I, I think, I mean... Um, I, I don't think that the process would have looked like a, as it has uh, eventually without the involvement of international um, actors and um, um, the provision with, with certain ideas um, because, um, yeah, it's like certain language that was used, certain, certain um, um, yeah, instruments that were developed, these kind of things, but it, it, it's definitely not the case that this is has just been um, like imposed and, and there was no agency involved. And, and, and I mean, uh, yeah, exactly what you described also with regard to um, the TDC navigating um, these spaces. I, I think um, um, that is, um, I mean, that fits well with, with my, um, my observations and my interpretation of things. And um, it, it, especially, I mean, what, what you said with regard to, um, to the budget, for example, um, I mean, the, officially the financing went through the federal budget, but then um, the commission always got less than it asked for, and it always came late, and then there were the accusations that this was used basically to undermine the work of the commission, and it was on purpose, and, and then certain um, um, specific um, project funding basically came through channel through UNDP, um, for example, or, or, or the ICTJ got extra money to hire a consultant to work on, on something. Or, um, so these different channels of somehow um, channeling money to the commission that doesn't come from the federal budget, although officially it was state funded. And, um, uh, and, and I mean, like, um, I, I remember this one time I, I was sitting um, in, in one of the offices in, in the commission and having, having a chat with a few of the commissioners, and they were basically telling me what the Germans all funded in this building, right? And officially, this, this was not, not the case. And, um, and um, so, yeah, and I, and I think um, that's definitely... Um, you're totally totally right in that regard that they also um, yeah knew what or, or figured out what kind of leverage um, they they had. Um. Stacy, I want to go back to something that you said just a second ago, Mariam, when you said you, you thought maybe it wouldn't have turned out as it did without international involvement, and I'd like to come back to this idea of how it turned out because obviously if we're talking about a process. We're not talking about a beginning or an end point per se, 
Um, and I, I know that your book very much reflects that. But obviously, there have also been some big changes in Tunisia in the past year. So um, maybe let's talk about that. Recent work from other parts of the region is really challenging the success-failure framework in general for talking about post-2011 politics, kind of categorically. Um, Instead, you know, people are talking about change, what has changed. And so I'd like to ask you to think about what what do you think the transitional justice process in Tunisia changed? And what do you think has changed since then? Or how it how does this process connect to the recent political shift in Tunisia? I mean, um, if I talk through my interview partners, then I would say what it has changed is that um, all this information that came out cannot go back into the box, right? And um, this is something that um, came out quite strongly. Um, I mean, I, I did some some follow-up research in, in 2020, and when I couldn't go to um, Tunisia, but um, but also in the meanwhile, it, it was like when the first public hearing happened, this was something that was already brought up and that people were saying like, okay, now we have this up in the, um, like in the open and this cannot go back. And, um, and, and so, um, so this is something I, I think, um, um, that, um, has changed and, and also, um, the, um, the, Maybe the, the knowledge that, knowledge that something like this can be set up, and and, and and that there is a possibility of accountability. But then on the other hand, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I try to avoid talking about failure. But but if we see what has materialized, um, then the question is like whether um, there is more left than than an idea, and um, and I. Um, I mean, I sense a lot of frustration with regard to that. Lots of things haven't materialized, and um, I mean, in, in terms of like reparations, for example, because um, in theory there there is a reparations fund, and uh, in theory there is a reparations procedure in place, but that hasn't materialized. And and in, in terms of like unsettling structures, and and um, so I mean, they, in theory. Um, there is this. Um, there have have all been all these impulses um, to do so, but and, and and like with the report, there is some knowledge in, in the open, but um, it also hasn't materialized uh, in in the way that lots of people want. And yeah, but this is also a way that we can maybe shift away just from institutional analysis to think about how the process and participating in the process changed people. And so maybe I would throw it to Mohammed to, to talk about uh, a little bit for, for people who participated in the transitional justice process. Do they encounter the, the current political changes differently than they might have? I mean, it's counterfactual, but um, how have changes outside of the institutional level maybe changed how people are reading contemporary political changes? I think it's a great question, um, and but it's really difficult to answer because it's difficult to distinguish who was involved and who was not, who was affected from who was not. Um, 
I think that uh, the question of uh, reparation, for example, uh, people who were not involved, who were not concerned, managed to use it uh, as a political weapon against the Nahba. Uh, and more recently, uh, in summer 2021, it was actually the main one of the main arguments used by um, those who organized the protest of July 25th uh, to mobilize people. They were saying, well, the, the economy is doing bad. We don't have money to buy whatever vaccine or or um, equipment for hospitals, and enough that people are asking for reparations. So we need to take the streets and ask for um, the solution of the parliament and get rid of the Nahda. Um, so people, so I think this may have to do with with the 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 um, the fact that most of those who are perceived as concerned about reparations are from Nahda. And the critique is com- is, was coming from um, both the left, that is still supportive of Sayyid, um, and uh, the old regime. And, and they were both uh, interconnected, and they built alliances since, uh, since uh, at least 2013. Um, but I would also say that um, the... The, the simple existence of the process and the narrative about dismantling the system raised the expectations of so many people about the outcomes of transition justice. Um, it provided, it, it institutionalized the expectations in the same, in a way that it managed to preserve that the revolutionary momentum. It was kind of bureaucratization of, of revolution. And Mayam does well in using the term uh, revolutionary window opportunities, talking about how things started in the beginning. It was a revolutionary opportunity. And then they kind of slowed down and they came back or revived in, in 2019. The association between Protestant justice and revolution is, some, is some, I think, is very common among Tunisians. Uh, although most of the time in the literature, and um, from a liberal perspective, we do not necessarily see uh, questions of transition from a, as, as about revolution and conflict. Uh, so I would like to hear more uh, from Marim about what, what do you think were the expectations? What do people mean by dismantling the system? That's, of course, like a very, very big question. And um, I, I w- just quickly wanted to comment on what you said with regard to um, for whom reparations are important. And this is something that actually um, I've heard like from from the very beginning, this kind of effort, um, I mean, I call it effort, or maybe let's call it paradox assumption that um, if you that that there is a moral high ground for for those who don't want reparations, and um and, and and this was mainly coming from I mean like I'm generalizing now but from the left and, and from people who explicitly um uh, define themselves as, as being like leftist politicians basically and saying like um, um yeah we we don't want reparations um, we we just want justice and, and and I find that really interesting that. 
um, this was coming from from the left, basically um, denouncing this material, um, um, it, these material ideas, and, and saying like that. Yeah, they have kind of the moral high ground by by doing so. But that just as a as a side note. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think this the transitional justice project somehow raised um, these expectations. Um, with regard to um, dismantling the system in quotation marks, because it actually tried to um, it tried to capture everything, and there is this like this this huge mandate, and it, I mean it goes back to um, goes back to half a year pre-independence, and 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 with with this mandate, it already makes the statement of of saying like we're looking at the state as a whole, right, and at, at the system that has been built. Like a, a certain system of oppression has been built from the very start of the state, and and I think this is what what raised um, these expectations. And so I, I think different people have different understandings of what they mean with dismantling the system. But it it kind of um, fits well with the notion of revolution in and that it means like unsettling the basis on on which the state has been built. And and this is both with regard to how it has been built economically and how it has been built um, politically and, and the um, the modes of, of rule and um and 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 they um and and they see these these modes of, of, of rule um materializing through through different processes and um and, and this is why I, I think it's it's kind of um I mean it's it kind of fitting um with regard to, to the history that, that is um the project tries to capture all these different dimensions, like the the political um, dimension, the the economic dimension, but then also talk. I mean, it talks about the systems in the mandate, like the media system, for example, and and these kind of things. And so, um, my impression is that um, it, when people think about dismantling the system, it, it would actually mean this this whole of uh, this whole idea of of um, what the state is, is like a system of rule the state is built on but maybe maybe you disagree with that so uh, or what do you think about that well i think sadly that might have to be a conversation for another time given that we have gone way over what it was that we were set out to be uh, achieving here but this has been so rich and so provocative and there's so much more to to pick up on um the application of, of these ideas beyond different cases, for instance, would be really, really rich. So perhaps we can have a, a follow-up where the roles are reversed with Mariam being a discussant for Stacey's wonderful new book. So uh, something to, to think about in future. But all that remains to be said for now is a huge congratulations and thank you to Mariam. It's really, really wonderful to see this in the flesh, a hard copy so very, very well done. Congratulations. It really is excellent. And Stacey and Mohammed, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure having you uh, talk through this book with us. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs>